Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Candid interviews with amazing Australian entrepreneurs who started with a humble idea and built it into something substantial and sustainable. It's the human face behind how they built it. On today's episode... Nowadays, people want to know what they're eating. They want to know how it's grown, how it's nurtured, what it's been fed. Not ordering Uber Eats like a, like a lot of them was well, not a trend anymore. It's just reality, I think, people want to know. Uber celebrity chef and restaurateur Matt Moran takes us into the heart of his food, farming and produce world. After falling instantly in love with cooking, namely French cooking, as a wide-eyed teen apprentice back in the 80s, he talks of how he then built a restaurant, cookbook and consultancy empire with the help and support of a few great mates and mentors, having opened and operated about 30 restaurants in the past 35 years. That empire today encompasses at least a dozen top-draw restaurants, mostly in iconic positions, like Aria, right on Sydney Harbour at Circular Quay. Matt Moran has also hosted several TV shows like Paddock to Plate and The Great Australian Bake Off. He's been a culinary advisor to Singapore Airlines for the past 15 years and authored several top-selling cookbooks. This high-flying entrepreneur has just taken on a new challenge, stepping out of his Sydney comfort zone. And it might just surprise you where his happy place is. I hope you enjoy part one of my chat with Matt Moran. Matt Moran, welcome and thank you for joining us on Build It Thou Comes. Great to be speaking to you. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Well, now we will talk about COVID and Mm -hmm. where your restaurants are at in a a little while further into the podcast, but particularly at this time when Australia is opening up again and and we're kind of all having to now self-regulate and decide what the rules are. But I wonder, we'll talk about that later. Can you paint us a picture of what Matt Moran's restaurant and food empire is right now? Oh, that's a a really interesting (laughs) one because it's... um... It's pretty full on, you know, coming out of COVID and, and obviously restaurants are reopening. And and uh, I actually started spending a little bit more time um, in the country during COVID. Uh, my father, who was a, a partner in the in the farm, the family farm, and has been for twenty years, and um, he uh, he retired and uh, and financially got out of the farm. So I started spending a little bit more time up there, um, which was you know two years ago now, and. Um, I kind of thought to myself, God, if I'm going to spend more time up at the farm, I probably need something else to, you know, take my mind off things and, and keep busy. And and uh, there's a tiny little country pub, which is uh, only six or seven minutes from the farm, which I've always loved. And uh, it's it's got a little bit of generational history, um, the town Rockley, which I actually wasn't aware of at the time. Um, I did a show late last year called Who Do You Think We Are? Who Do You Think You Are? Which I don't think I'm allowed to say that, but anyway. Um, <laughs> It uh, hasn't come out yet, but uh, right. we found out all this stuff about the little town Rockley that my my great grandfather who who walked out to Bathurst when he was six years of age in the eighteen sixties and oh. ended, up, ended up being a shearer and uh, and then he started buying land uh, at a little town called Black Springs, which is only about twenty minutes from Rockley. Yeah, and as it turned out, he he met his wife, we think, in Rockley, and he got married in Rockley in eighteen eighty three, and um and you know there I am, you know. All those years later, um, I've, I've now bought the pub and and I bought some land around it. So we're we're building a 
a new restaurant and a new pub and some rooms. So I've been, um, you know, not just getting my restaurants up and um, up and going in Sydney and Brisbane, but um, I've also been out in the country. And we only opened it four weeks ago, so I've just uh, drove back now and uh, we've just been getting absolutely slammed every weekend, So, which is good. It's a good good problem. Slammed uh, is a good word, right? Yeah, it is. It's a very good word. It's, uh, so yeah. lots of bookings or lots of walk-ins? Well, yeah, I, I, I sort of um, I bought it and I closed it down and, uh, you know, it was obviously COVID was happening and, and yeah. you know, the, the pub really wasn't in the in the condition to sort of, you know, for, for me to open with my brand and everything else. So yeah. we closed it down and, and um, I had some issues with insurance and stuff like that. So um, I ended up doing a DA and I finally got the DA through and I did a deal with the builder that we could actually open it, part of it, and rebuild the new bit and then flip it and then finish the other bit. And uh, once I sort of decided that I was going to reopen it, I wanted to keep it pretty quiet and just sort of, you know, for the locals. And um, first weekend, I think we had a thousand people come in. So, oh my gosh, yeah, Matt, yeah. that's amazing. Well, I yeah. did see some publicity, obviously. In yep. that was a good living in the Sydney Morning Herald. Yeah. So that's going to bring people to your door for yeah, I sure. Know, I know, I know. So we're <laughs> so, we're we're operating, but yeah, we're we're starting. We've started the renovations, and we're getting full on into it. Um, right. So it's basically operating as a pub with yeah, counter pub. food now, and yeah, then you're pub going food. to. Yeah, and you're building good, a restaurant. Good pub food. Yeah, good pub food. Your brand pub food. Yeah, now, but it's it's kind of funny, funny because uh, I, I think the biggest comments that we've been seeing on on feedback and and reviews is that you know God Matt Moran was there and he delivered our delivered our plate and and uh, poured our beer and made our Negroni and. And I keep saying to him, if they wait around for half an hour, they'll see me washing up plates too. So it's kind of good. It's good for the good for the area, and it's kind of good to the locals who didn't really like me because I shut their pub. Um, kind of realise that I'm just a, a normal person having a bit of a crack. Oh, Matt, look, it's quite extraordinary. I, I asked you to paint us a picture of your whole empire, but you've gone in for your most recent baby. <laughs> so you have made your mark and you continue to make your mark mm. in, you know, obviously the luxury experience really of high-end, high-quality award-winning restaurants, mm. usually in stunning locations. So I do have to ask your newest baby, the Rockley Pub, in little tiny Rockley, it's west of the Blue Mountains, um, mm. which is west of Sydney, south of Bathurst, for those who don't know where Rockley is. It's not so much a an iconic must-go-to destination, is it? Oh, look, some people might say that, but I, I see it the opposite. Um, oh, wow. You know, Rockley, Rockley is it's, it's high country, so it's, you know, it's nearly a 1,000 metres above sea level and it's, it gets, you know, cold and snow and, and um, you know, apart from one or two other little western sort of tableland towns, I think it has to be one of the prettiest. It comes down into a valley and it's got a beautiful uh, – it's only a creek, but it probably should be a river um, – running through the middle of it. And, uh, you know, only a couple of months ago I walked down there to have a bit of a look and I saw a platypus on his back floating around. Oh, um, gorgeous. And, uh, you know, the the – the area, I think, since um, you know, COVID and, and regional tourism, and you know, people wanting to get out of Sydney, and um, I, I think it, it will be, you know, a stunning location and destination when I finish with it. Because I didn't only buy the pub; I bought a lot of, uh, I bought the house next door, which is attached to the pub, and I bought a lot of land around it. So I've got nearly two acres there, and and the idea was just to open a pub, um, and then 
very quickly sort of, you know, Matt Moran kicked in. It's like, you know what, wouldn't it be great to have a, a restaurant? Wouldn't it be great to have a beer garden? Wouldn't it be great to have some luxury um, villas on it? Wouldn't it be great to have accommodation upstairs? Wouldn't it be great to have a bakery? Wouldn't it be great <laughs> to have a general store, um, a little homeware store and, and even a function facility? So it's kind of, um, it, it, it is a, a quaint, tiny little town that had no services whatsoever. whatsoever. And um, the, the first thing I thought would be, Great to have a little general store and sell some stuff that I, I make in the in the pub and and uh, and some surrounding farmers to to actually sell some stuff in there. Yeah. Um, so so Matt, how many people live in this town? Uh, there's just under two hundred. <laughs> <laughs> so one could ask. Yeah. Are you mad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people have said that, but look, I I, I saw a pub um, or a couple of pubs doing the same sort of thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, I just kind of put all, you know, all the resources around it in, into place and, and started thinking about it. And, you know, you, you are only three hours from Sydney. Um, uh, I'm is only- that driving fast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it? Yeah, I, right. can do it, I can do it in two and four, 45, so- Oh, know. my goodness. Okay, well, <laughs> that's, the city. that's um, too fast. <laughs> what it does have, it's got, it's got Bathurst, which is only 25 yeah. minutes away, which is 50,000 people, and, and we're less than an hour to, uh, to Orange, which is another 50,000 people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Orange is a, a great wine sort of region, and, and Bathurst is actually, you know, up and coming when it comes to wine. There's about- a dozen wineries that are around Rockley, believe it or not. In fact, there's one mm. only a couple of kilometres away. So, you know, I, I just started thinking that, you know, it, it is a destination, but if you can, you know, give people, you know, accommodation and, and opportunity and, and different offerings, you know, they will come. And, and you know, I have to say, Helen, <laughs> four weeks ago when I was opening it, um, you know, I get nervous still about opening places, you know, and, and I've always said, yeah. oh, yeah, really, really nervous. And um, I, I kind of think that if you're not nervous, you, it means you don't care enough. Yeah. And, you know, let's, we opened on the, on, the, on the Thursday and let's just say on the Tuesday night, you know, I had a, had a dream and, and just say that I was, a, you know, a young teenage girl um, that was having a party on the Saturday night and uh, she's, you know, dreams in the middle of the night that no one turns up. Right? And that's just devastating, right? And then the next night she has another dream and the 50 people that she's invited mm -hmm. turn up, but they all bring a friend, so there's not enough food. And that's the <laughs> dream that I was having, whether <gasps> anyone would turn up to the pub. Oh. Um, and I was, I was, luckily it was the second dream because we um, – you know, we we couldn't fit everyone in. To be honest, it was just it was just insane. I'd never seen anything like it. Oh well, huge congratulations Thank to you. you. I mean, you know, it's that it's that sort of entrepreneurial vision, I guess. Yes, the town was nearby you, and you obviously uh, liked the look of the little cute pub. But mm. it still takes enormous entrepreneurial guts and risk taking to go yeah. in for something like that because maybe no one will come. You know could come. Mm. Mm. Yeah, look, you know, I suppose you kind of back yourself a little bit, but I just, you know, I've opened, God, I might be close to 30 places over over my career and and uh, I put a lot of energy into this one and, and mm. uh, it, it meant a lot more because, you know, um, you know, having that sort of history in it, but also yeah. having the farm down the road and, and, you know, a big part of it wasn't just the monetary thing of it also. It was more the fact that this tiny little town that's just sort of dying and the only thing left was the pub. And um, and the locals love the pub, and they care about the pub. But the rate that it was going, it, it wouldn't have lasted. Um, you know, I, I, it's just you know, there's hardly anyone in there. And some of the locals were a bit like, "Oh, I preferred how it used to be when there was only three people in there." But 
you know, it's, uh, and I think a tiny little town like that, once the pub goes, that's the end of the town. Mm, mm. And, um, you know, I just thought, wouldn't it be great, you know, to look back, you know, in 20 years and go, wow, you know what, there's a, a thriving little community there now. And, um, you know, you've got, uh, you know, city folk might buy a house, which has already started actually since I've bought the pub. There's, there's three or four Sydney folk that have actually bought houses in the town. Fantastic. Um, and, um, you know, wouldn't it be great on a Sunday morning to come down and have a, you know, croissant and a, and a um, vanilla slice and a, and a pie for lunch from the bakery and, you know, come in for lunch and have a beer in the afternoon. So it's kind of, yeah, it was, it's kind of the romance of it, I think, more than anything that really got my attention before I actually decided to, you know, start doing everything else. Matt, your family farm, as you said, is out there um, mm. very close by. How important is that farm now to your life but also to your professional life, to the produce and provenance of mm. produce? That's mm. always been very important to you, hasn't mm. it? It has. Look, it's the, the farm, there's no question, it's my happy place. You know, I, I think a lot of people that come out there and see me on it, it's, um, it's uh, you know, they see a different Matt Moran. Um, there's no question, you know, I can sit in the paddock and look at my cows for half an hour. <laughs> um, I've, got a, I've got a farm manager there and dad's gone and, uh, you know, and I'm making mistakes and I've... Meaning, farm- sorry, your father was living there but now yeah, he he's was. not? Yeah, yeah, he's moved yeah. into Bathurst so he's retired yeah. and um, him and his wife have gone in there and and uh, and I've sort of taken it over. There was, there was a few family members and over the years I sort of bought a couple of them out and, yeah. and finally dad and, and, you know, I'm having fun and... You know, where where I'm trying to change things and do things differently. You know, um, maybe a little bit more modernised and and uh, and yeah, it's it's I'm planting lots of trees everywhere, and you know, I've got these Berkshire pigs. That, you know, I'm oh beautiful breeding now, and I've got fat lambs, and which we've always had. Yeah, um, and redoing the house, but yeah, it, it is my special place, and it's not that I'm ever going to go and live there. Forever, but I want to mm. spend. I want to spend a lot more time there. Obviously, Sydney. I know we're talking a lot about the country, but Sydney's obviously very important to me too. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've got a lot more businesses in Sydney and, and yeah. uh, than I do in the country. But just before we leave that country, you said mm. you you're making mistakes now that perhaps Dad's gone. What can you sort of talk to us about how you're managing those mistakes? Because that's part of the entrepre- entrepreneurial life as well. Yeah, look, you know, and look, Dad, Dad, you know, I love him to death, and he's a, he's a phenomenal farmer. Um, but you know, I, I, being, you know, young and creative or younger, Mm. (laughs) I like to try different things and, you know, I want to learn by my mistakes. So, you know, my, my farm manager who is, you know, really experienced, he's, he's only, he's a couple of years younger than me. And, uh, you know, I'm working really closely with him and we're just, we're just sort of talking about what we should be doing, what we should be doing. And, you know, we're, we're making things a lot more free range and, um, and yeah, having fun doing it. And I love that part of it. So when I go to the the pub, Rockley, you know, I'm, I'm actually at the farm until until lunchtime, and then I'll go in and do service and, and run plates and whatever else, and then go back to the farm. And then at night time, I'm back in the pub. So um, I'm meeting lots of locals that I've never met before. Yeah. I'm asking for advice. You know, they don't realise I'm asking for advice, but I just ask them what what they do and how they do it. <laughs> but yeah. what I'm really doing is picking their brains, and uh, and I'm reading a lot more about regen farming and and uh, all that sort of stuff too and soils and I've had all the soils tested and stuff like that rather than sort of just looking at it going, oh, well, that needs, you know, a little bit more lime or whatever else. That Mm. dad would say I'm actually, you know, getting into the the crux of it. Why is the provenance of produce Uh, so important? Yeah, I did a talk last week um, at the uh, National Farmers Federation 
And, you know, people automatically think that I had a farm upbringing, which I, I did, that that's how I got into food. Um, but it's it's a total opposite. It's I got into food and, and fell in love with, with cooking um, at a very early age. And I think that's what got me into the, the, the farming side more and the, and the providence. So it wasn't this beautiful romantic, you know, story that I grew up on a farm and we had, you know, we had great produce. And, you know, my grandmother was a great cook and my mother was a great cook. It, was, it wasn't really like that at all. It was, it was um, you know, I, I got into cooking and then I saw the, the produce in the restaurants and then that's when I wanted to go back to the Providence and, you know, hence why I made TV shows about yeah, you know, right. farming and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it, it is really important to me and, and the farm is really important to me um, because I think nowadays it's um, people want to know what they're, what they're eating. They want to know um, how it's grown, how it's nurtured, um, what's what it's been fed. Um, mm. ethically, you know, how it's killed. Um, you know, I had a, uh, a dinner the other week. It was quite funny, actually. It's, uh, it was the, the coach of the state of origin side, Brad Fittler. He's a mate of mine. And he just rang me up and out of the blue, as he, as he does sometimes. And he said, oh, Matt, do you want to come for dinner with the, the leadership um, guys from the state of origin? And uh, a few of the boys, I know Teddy Tedesco and a couple other guys, and uh, I said, yeah, sure. And I said, oh, what do you want me to do? And he said, oh, you know, nothing. The guys are organising some food. And I said, oh, look, I'll ring them and make sure that, you know, there's a bit of a spin, you know, from Chiswick or whatever, Providence or whatever. And he goes, yeah, yeah, no, just come out for dinner. And typical Brad, you know, we sit down and he's like, so, um, you know, I bought Matt Moran, you know, mate of mine, and he's just going to talk to you about leadership. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for the heads up, Brad. Which is fine because, you know, that's, you know, obviously having a, a big workforce and whatever, of course yeah. I, could, I could do that. Um, but one of the one of the kids, I shouldn't say kids, but one of the, the young footballers, um, Cameron Murray, who's the up-and-coming South Sky brewing kid, local, lives around where I do, and came up to me and started talking about, you know, restaurants and food. And, and he said, I saw that podcast you did with Charlie Arnold, who's a big regen farmer, biodynamic guy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm thinking – what are you what yeah. you're listening to that sort of podcast? And he goes, Oh no, no, I'm really into Charlie, but I'm really into food and I really want to know what I'm putting in my mouth. And you wow. know, I'm really con and I thought to myself, yeah. wow, you know, one, yeah. I want to be your mate. Um, yeah. but you know, you've got this young 20-year-old football player um that's not ordering Uber Eats like a like a lot of them, and he's really conscious of what he's doing. And, and mm. I think that is a, a trend that is starting. Well, it's not a trend anymore. It's just reality. I think people want to know what they're eating, where they're yeah. eating. And um, and that's exactly, you know, that I, I love about that. I, I love that people want to know where their food comes from. Yeah. Matt, I mean, you've got more than a handful, nearly two handfuls of restaurants, probably two handfuls of restaurants by now. You've had several television programs under your belt, including the pretty long-running, wonderful uh, Great Australian Bake Off, <laughs> which I love, and and cookbooks as well. Mm. I mean, you've achieved this enormous level of success. Do you you do consider yourself an entrepreneur? Does does the food come first for you or does the business side and the opening things and making sure the quality is still there, mm, does mm. that come first? Look, the, the, the true passion is, is, is restaurants, there's no question, and, and food. That's, that's, um, that is the, the thing that I fell in love with and I'm still in love with it and anyone that knows me well enough or watches my Instagram knows that I love cooking and I love food. 
Um, I suppose to be able to do what I do, you've got to learn the business side of it or you don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> Simple as that. Um, yeah. You know, the media side of things, well, you know, that was just a progression when I was younger and, and sort of took off and, you know, I'm, I'm luckily enough in a position now to sort of choose what I want to do with, with that and, and what I don't want to do. Um, you know, of course I want to do Bake Off, you know, who doesn't want to work with Maggie Beer, you know, she's a, she's a living legend. She's the, she's the legend of that show, not me. I just sort of, you know, I'm the, I'm the sidekick. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, look, the, the business side obviously is really important because, you know, if you don't run it as a business, well, then you don't have it. And hospitality is very volatile. You know, we've had a, a yeah. very hard time of late and, you um, you know, if you don't watch your costs and you don't watch what you do, you, you don't you don't hang around for very long. Um, you know, it's like a big ship. You know, you can't just turn the tap on and off straight away. You've you know, it takes a, a while to turn it around if things are going bad. Um, so, you know, I'm very lucky. I've, I've had you know people that have surrounded me for for 35 years while I've been in the industry that that have been great mentors and and you know I've, I've sponged and learnt off them as much as I possibly can and. And, uh, you know, some of them are still in my life. You know, Bruce Solomon has been a great mentor of mine. You know, he's still a part yeah. in, in a lot of businesses. Yeah. I, I want to ask about, you know, how you began in restaurants. You said it wasn't necessarily the farm background. No. It wasn't, you know, mum and grandma being fabulous cooks. I mean, you left your local high school what in Western Sydney at the age of 15 to become yep. a, a chef. But had you had your heart set on chefing or was it more mm, maybe I'll get out of school early? Uh, there's no question, Helen. It was all about <laughs> how can I not have to go to school the next day? Um, I've got an older brother who's only a year older and, and he was uh, the year above me. I actually left school before he did. Um, but my father, you know, he, he wouldn't look because we had the farming in the, in the beginning and then we weren't on the farms and we were living in Western Sydney and, and, uh, you know, farming sort of, um, you know, was obviously missing from, from that. Um, dad was worked and dad and mum both worked really hard to actually then buy a little farm while I was a teenager and we used to go down there and work every weekend. So my old man made me work. Um, you know, he instilled very good work ethics. And, uh, and cause I, you know, school, I, I just say I was misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> My father used to say that I've got the attention span of a retarded flea. And, um, and uh, not that I was stupid or anything, you know, but I, I got a kid doing medicine now, which is, which is even more strange. <laughs> very proud dad. Yeah, very but proud dad. Yeah. So you just couldn't concentrate at school. Yeah, and I wasn't, to I get wasn't out. great. And I just wanted to get out. And, you know, and because I was a big kid and sporty and, you know, I, I, I could work hard. Um, you know, I, I just decided that I wanted to be a baker, which I still love baking. Uh, then I thought I want to be a butcher because I'd seen a bit of that when I was young on the farm. And then uh, I did a little bit of work experience in uh, Parramatta RSL as a as a as a chef. Or you know, I wasn't really a chef; I was just sort of running around, picking up food, and you know, washing dishes. And then decided that I wanted to be an apprentice chef. And and back in those days, it was really hard to get jobs. So I went for probably a good twenty interviews before I got the landed the big one, which little did I know was one of the top restaurants in Sydney, um, La Bahaline, which I started there in in eighty five. Um, and that was uh, on the leafy, quiet North yeah, Shore in Roseville. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, a bit of a shock to the to to my system because back in those days, you know, you worked. We worked six days a week and we would do 80 hours a week minimum. 
Um, so I kind of mm. lost my teenage years six nights too. So, you know, for four and a half years that I was at La Belle, you know, I, I worked six nights a week. And I remember my father came to pick me up um, from Blacktown or Seven Hills, you know, the first night. And he, he did that for oh, nearly two years. Wow. Um, every night at midnight, um, thank God. And uh, I think he's more worried about if I didn't go through with it and I sort of dropped out of it then more than I couldn't go back to school and I didn't have a job. Um, so it was a bit of making sure. But I remember saying to him, you know, the, after the first couple of days, you know, I said, oh, my God, Dad, you, should, you can't believe what they do with food. Like I'd seen things I'd never seen before. And little stupid things like, you know, a fan strawberry or, you know, they whip up egg whites and they make this into a dessert called a souffle, you know. Oh, um, wow. And yeah. I just became typical Matt Rank, became completely obsessed by it and couldn't yeah. get enough but, of it. So. Yeah, but, I mean, Matt, this was, you say, you know, the food excited you and what they were doing with, I guess, classic French cooking. But mm. because that was well before chefs were stars or global names or celebrated owners of hatted restaurants. <laughs> I mean, were, you we didn't the, have any. We were the dirty, smelly guys out the back that no one gave a fuck about. <laughs> That's right, I shouldn't swear like <laughs> But it's true. We, no one cared about, the, the, you know, who the chefs were back in those days because yeah. a lot of chefs weren't restaurateurs. Um, yeah. And, you know, and I think that's that was the changing of the guard, you know, is where chefs started to get more notoriety and they started buying their own restaurants. People that were coming in needed to know the chef because they wanted the good table. <laughs> and, um, you know, so then chefs started coming out of the kitchen a little bit more and, and uh, you know, became a little bit the, the whole celebrity thing, which, you know, it, it wasn't why I got into it because, you know, I remember when I was at the RSL, there was a guy that was on the deep fryer for four years and the guy on the grill was there for five years and all the guy on the deep fryer wanted to do was get on the grill and I thought, God, one day if I could ever be on a deep fryer, God, I'd be happy. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, so then that's the love. The love just started yeah. and then, you know, it's probably the right place at the right time and, and uh, you know, LeBehaline taught me how to cook, there's no question. Michael DeLawrence, probably one of the most underrated chefs Um that I've ever met, you know, he was an incredible mentor to me and, and a phenomenal cook and, and still is and still a great mate. Um, I left there at, after four and a half years and I went and worked for the Manfredi family, which was the restaurant, um, which right, was very yeah. famous back in Ste the yeah, Stefano, Stefano, Stefano Manfredi, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that taught so, me. So, sorry, what do you think, Matt, that you took from La Belle Hélène that's still with you today? I, I mean, I you, took, you're praising it. Yeah, I took um, work ethic. Um, and the basics of, of cookery, um, you know, the, the, the French classic style of, of learning how to cook is probably one of the most important. And, uh, you know, the, the produce, you know, produce was very different back in those days. You know, we didn't have the variety that we did. Mm. And it mm. started to explode when I went to Manfredi and, and no disrespect to Stefano, but he didn't really teach me how to cook at all. Um, <laughs> I probably taught him a thing or two. Franco definitely taught me pasta. Um, but uh, what Stefano taught me was, you know, produce. And that's when at that that time and place, you know, you had people like John Sussman, Flying Squid Brothers, mm. Barry McDonald, Simon Johnson, you know, bringing all this incredible product into Sydney that we'd never seen before, you know, coffin Bay scallops and, and uh, you know, beautiful cheeses from King Island. And, and it was just, a, it was a great time to be around because that's what got me into produce and, and, and sourcing great produce and, and, and learning about produce. And, and the restaurant was very different to LaBelle's where LaBelle was much more technical. Um, Manfredi was all about good cooking and great produce and, and that's what mm. taught me that side. So it was, it was a great um, 
a great apprenticeship, I suppose, in, in working in both of those places. But it was a very well, young, it was yeah, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, oh, I was just going to say it was a very exciting time in yeah, food and restaurants. It was like an explosion yeah, in yeah. Uh, certainly in Sydney and Melbourne. So, but how did you decide to take the leap though and back yourself <laughs> and your own idea for opening a restaurant? So I met a guy when I was at LaBelle, Peter Sullivan, who was ended up being my business partner for 24 years. Um, I love Pete. Pete's retired now. Um, right. I think he's been in Europe and in the States for the last 12 months with his wife, Susan, who was also part of the business and um fantastic and they've retired and and uh so what he did what um was that at labelle he was a waiter at labelle um and then became a manager and him and i became great friends and uh i was at the restaurant and and he was working he was running armstrong's for mark armstrong and uh we used to catch up another great restaurant yeah yeah back then yeah Yeah, a lot of history there and um and pete and i used to go out and have drinks on saturday nights you know because we didn't work on sundays after work and um he just said to me one day, geez, you know, we should open our own. And then, uh, and I kind of was at the stage, I was only 22, but, um, you know, I was kind of didn't want to be told what to do anymore, I suppose. <laughs> so Pete and I went out and we, we ended up buying Paddington Inn, um, the bistro. Wow. Um, you were 22. I was 22 and Pete was 27, yeah. And you not only thought that you could run a restaurant in Oxford Street in Sydney, but you went out and bought it. We went so out, how yeah. well how did you fund it at that very first one? Was it were you borrowing money? Had you saved some? Were you begging from friends and family? Um I think it costs sixty thousand, so thirty thousand each. Um I can't remember. Helen, I think wow. that I'd saved a little bit of money. I was yeah. you know, I was working all the time, so I, I was always always had money and, and yeah. I started my own little business when I was at LaBelle making cakes and tarts for for delicatessens. And I was making a lot of cash back in those days and it was all under the bed. <laughs> So you're very <laughs> entrepreneurial. Oh, the tax man won't be listening to this, I'm no, sure. No, it doesn't matter. It's too far gone Statute, of, statute <laughs> of limitations, yeah, passed now. Um, so did yeah. you do a business plan for the Paddington Inn? No, no, no. And this is this is the, this is the thing. <laughs> Pete could run the floor. I could cook the food. You know, let's just have a look and, and let's just go for it. And I remember, I remember <laughs> after a couple of months, we had so much money in the bank and um, I thought, God, this is easy. <laughs> <laughs> we just went This paying, is easy. We just yeah. weren't paying people properly. Not not staff, but we just, you know, our suppliers and whatever else. And you no know, one really sort of we weren't a big account, I suppose, and no one really worried. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we've got all this money. So you then, weren't trying to rip them off. No, you just sort of no, hadn't no, paid no, the checks no, yet. No, we're just too busy and <laughs> doing what we did. And um and then Peter's wife, uh Susan, who's um had done hotel management with Peter. And um Susan came in to help us and started paying our bills. And I think after the first sort of year, we were really busy, but we weren't making any money. We had no costings or no, no, we didn't know what we were doing, but we were having a lot of fun. And my thing always was, Helen, I came from two very good restaurants and, and uh, you know, we got a bit of, and so did Peter. Um, and I thought, God, well, if we go broke, well, bad luck and just start again and do it again. Who cares? You know, you had a yeah. crack. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, the opposite effect happened and, and it sort of went off and, and we did very well out of that and, and then kept you know, doing more. And Yeah. And, uh, but it, it is interesting, Matt, because being a chef at someone else's business, yes, you said you didn't want to um, be told what to do, but that's very different to running your own. Mm. Um, you obviously learnt a lot there. I did very quickly. You, <laughs> um, you learn a lot very quickly because the uh, – 
the other the other side of it is that you, you know you're not working for yourself anymore so you know you you have to learn about business and and you know i learned a lot from susan at that top point in time and and my landlord um who was now my business partner um you know I, I learned a lot from him too and he was he was he was great in the in the beginning because we were leasing the 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 um, bistro off him and then after three and a half years Peter and I decided that we wanted to sell it and, and move on and, and do something else and and he actually helped me with that too which was strange I could never really quite understand. This is understand. Bruce Solomon. This is Bruce yeah couldn't yeah. quite understand and a lot of people always thought that Bruce was part of us and then we we went and opened Moran's and Bonfem and I opened a place in the city with Kirk Pangili and and a lot of people always thought Bruce was behind that but Bruce actually helped us um, you know sell the Paddington Inn to someone else who who he ended up throwing out, I think, um, and uh, I could never quite understand the beginning of that why he did that, and and he said to me, you know, years later that you never know, you know, um, you know, I might need your help, and uh, and that's what happened. Mm. That's how we got back into business again when we wow. Did our so so you and Peter in the nineties did open a number of restaurants. Yeah, how uh, successful were they financially? Um, they they were they were all right. You know, they they weren't. Amazing, but you know we had living. We we both bought houses, um, and uh, you know we had had nice cars. Um, you know that was yeah, I suppose they were, but the success from those restaurants was really building the name and uh, and the brand, and that that was right. probably the most important thing. And having a you know a, a um, having a name and and you know and with our peers, our peers seeing us and and you know Moran's was best new restaurant and got two hats when it first opened and we had a cafe there and we had the little French bistro um, Bon Femme and yeah and was then, unbelievable yeah. times. I mean, how difficult was it to get two hats? Uh, yeah, I was very young too. Uh, well, we had we had a hat at Paddington Inn when I was like, that's right. Um, yeah, it was, but that's what you really strove for, you know, that was the most yeah. important thing in, in restaurants then. So what was the key then to making that first restaurant, the Paddington Inn, work and uh, as a dining destination? Um, Peter came if from- If it wasn't financial management, <laughs> um, what was it? It was good good bloody food. Um, you know, yeah. I came from fine dining and yeah. Peter came from Armstrong's and, and you know, we had a, a little bit of a- um, you know, uh, the media were, were very keen on us because we were very young and we came from very successful restaurants. You mm. know, Restaurant Man Freddie ended up having three hats um, and Armstrong's was two. So, you know, the head chef of Man Freddie and, and, and uh, the um, manager from Armstrong's opened a little bistro. You know, we had a lot of media attention. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and we were busy from day one. I've still got that till roll from the, the first week we ever did. And uh, I think we did about $13,000 in food. Um, which which is a lot of money back then, you know. That's yeah, that's ninety-one, yeah. that's thirty years ago, you know. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so when you started, say the Paddington Inn, mm. did you always have a big vision for yourself <laughs> or your restaurants, or was it just, oh, we'll just do this one, see how it goes, make a bit of dough? It's um, you know, I when I started a bell and I fell in love with it, um, I had no real ambition to to own my own restaurant. You know, I did, it never even came across my mind because I just didn't think I ever would. You know, let alone to write a cookbook or you know work for an airline or or own multiple restaurants. Um, it just wasn't on the radar. And I think it, with Pete and I, um, it was just a progression thing. It's like, all right, well, we've done Paddington for three and a half years. All right, we've outgrown it. You know, let's do something else. 
yeah, why not? You know, let's go and find somewhere else. And Bruce actually helped us find the Moran site. And um, and then it was like, oh, well, this is great. We've done that. You know, oh, do you want to open a little French bistro? That's where, you know, my cooking came from. And and Pete's like, yep, let's go and do that. So we went and found one and and then it just went on. And then Bruce came back into our lives in the late 90s and and he found the site Aria and, and uh, asked yeah. us to be, you know, part of that. And it was probably the right. best, so- best thing I ever did. So best thing you ever did. Okay, I was going to say, I mean, when did Bruce really enter your life? And and I thought that was with Aria. Mm. And, of course, that was such a, is it fair for me to say it was a huge step up? It mm. really put you on the map. Um, mm. It was, you know, an amazing risk, I guess, to go in the, into this incredibly wonderful site in mm. East Circular Quay. Mm. Well, it wasn't so wonderful when it first started as no. a toaster building and no. it was very controversial, wasn't it? Yeah, because Bruce came to me. Hey, Bruce was a friend, obviously, because he helped yeah. us get into Moran's. John Hemmys owned the building and he sort of put us forward and, and – uh, and then came back, you know, um, three and a half years, four years later or whatever it was. But he'd always come in for dinner and I always looked after him. And he said, I've found this site in Circular Quay. Um, could you help me, you know, do the kitchen or whatever? And I said, yeah, sure, Bruce, you know, no dramas. And and then he kept going on about it and said, uh, you know, it's the most incredible site. When I found out it was a toaster, I was like, you idiot. Like, you know, <laughs> why would you go there? And he finally convinced me to come down and have a look. And I have to say I walked into it and went, wow, like this is the best Positioned in Sydney, and yeah, and, and but meaning just to put it in context for some listeners who may not remember, it was a huge controversy because a lot of Sydney siders did not want apartments to be built on that fabulous site right next mm. to the Opera House. Well, th- there was buildings there, and when they knocked yeah. them down, and and everyone could see straight across the the the, the key there, um, no one wanted them rebuilt. But it's quite funny; a lot of people that were actually against them, uh, you know, ended up living in them. <laughs> 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 I won't mention any names, but that, no, that's a true okay. story. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so Bruce but came it along. Still must have, sorry, no, Bruce came along. I was along just going to say it must have been a really gigantic and risky leap for you. But it was. Bruce really pushed you. No, he he came and and uh, he was wanted a partner in it, but he didn't want a fifty percent partner um, because he couldn't have control. Um, and uh, and then I kind of said to Pete, uh, Bruce that, you know, I'd be more than happy to have a look at it. And I, we had to sell everything, obviously, financially to do it, and we did. And and that was the key, I think, to our, our partnership is that, you know, I think a lot of people always thought that, you know, I was the brand and Bruce was the cash. Yeah. So <laughs> I, wish, I, wish, I wish it was sometimes. <laughs> yeah, right. So how did it work? You said he didn't have 50%. You had more than 50%. No, no, no. We, we had 50. We had, so no one had, we, we both had control. So yeah. we were both 50 50. And, um, okay. And but you had to put in dough as much as him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, dough yeah. and brand and the hard work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Bruce, you know, Bruce was at a building stage then too. So, you know, he obviously was self made, you know, he started yeah. as a barrister and then got into. I'm talking a lot about Bruce. Hope he doesn't mind. Um, and uh, and his son actually runs it now, which is fantastic yeah. too. And uh, um, and Bruce was at a building stage, and that's how it all started. We had Aria, which was incredibly successful in the first couple of years, like unbelievably so successful. So was it successful from the get go? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and wow. Bruce is a pretty good negotiator. So you know, we had a good rent free period, and we had a big contribution to fit out and and all that sort of stuff. And, and um, you know, he's he's a smart man. We ended up buying the building, um, Bruce and I, which was nice and, and you know, that obviously wow. was supportive. And, and, you know, look, it was good. And it was only two years into it then, you know, Opera Bar came up, you know, which was a concourse. And, and then 
we uh, we decided to run for that tender and we won that tender and that opened in 2002. That was probably the financially biggest gain that we had because, you know, it didn't, really? didn't in the beginning. Opera Bar was very, very um, – it took a while for it, for it to take off and we lost a lot of money in the first year or so. Um, but, so what know, changed the game there? Oh, just believing in what we did, you know, just, to, you know, order at the bar. A lot of people wanted it to still have table service, so a lot of the older clientele stopped coming and, and the vision was to obviously have a bar and have music and have younger demographic and, and which obviously was successful. Um, it's 20 years now, mm. I think, this year that we've we've had it. Um, and then, you know, we were just in that building process too and then we just kept opening more. Yeah. You know, we ended up, I can't remember what the third one was. Um it might have been Aria. Yeah, it would have been Aria Brisbane and then uh, and then Chiswick and then uh, I can't the, remember. Uh, the Riverbar, Art Gallery one. Art Gallery, yeah, and then Chop House and then North Bono Fish. Um, and yeah, Opera Kitchen as well. Opera Kitchen, yeah. Barangaroo, that's what. <laughs> oh, Barangaroo, of course. Barangaroo, there's, Huge. There's, there's You've got three one. places there in the most yeah. beautiful building. So mm. are you with Bruce in all those Businesses, yeah. So Peter, Peter, I bought Peter out years ago, um, right. and Pete, so Pete was part of my fifty percent. I'm telling you a lot, aren't I? <laughs> um, yeah, and Bruce and I still, obviously, yeah, we are, we yeah. are. Um, you know, Bruce has obviously got his own businesses, and so do I. Fantastic, so, but, a, but a lot of those ones we're together. Matt, I come back to some of those, particularly Aria and then Opera Kitchen, mm. iconic positions, but enormously risky. And yep. you said Opera Bar, you know, wasn't working when you took mm. it over, mm. so. How do you master risk taking? Because it's obviously a cr- it's critical in a startup or a growing business. You were sort of beyond startup stage by then, mm. I suppose. Mm. How do you master that risk taking? Um, uh, look, I suppose try try not to overextend. You know, and there's been points uh, in in my life that I probably have. You know, and and uh, and sort of. You know, change that fairly quickly when you when you think about it, and yeah. you know, and you know, I, I went on a big spending spree with Bruce, and we bought some pubs and stuff like that, and made a couple of mistakes, and I'll, I'll admit that. Um, but we made some some you know great choices at the same time too. Yeah. Um, and you know, but what do you get out of your mistakes as quickly as you can? Uh, look, you know, as Bruce used to say to me that you know you can make mistakes, but if you don't um, rectify that mistake quickly, you know that that's when you're an idiot. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. know know when you when you've done it wrong or whatever, and you change it. And you know we, we've we've always been sort of quite agile to do that, which is great. Yeah. Um, Have you ever come close to falling over? Our first year of Paddington Inn, I think. <laughs> Pete and I had to put in five grand each. <laughs> wow! Oh, um, big spenders. Uh, look, <laughs> on top of your thirty. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I don't think so. No. Um, you know, there's there's always been some assets there and whatever, not to risk losing yeah. everything. But, um, but you know, do you co- think, in in fact, a willingness to you need a willingness to fail or to think about well, if this doesn't work, mm. um, you know, I still want to do it, or if mm. this doesn't work, I'm going to get out quickly and rebuild. Yeah, look, we've always had incredibly successful venues. So you know, if if one didn't kind of work, or we you know did something wrong, um, you know, we would never let it affect the, the bigger picture. So we'd just drop that and then move on, you know. We opened a yeah. chop house at Parramatta, you know, prior to COVID and, and that was a disaster. Um, yeah. You know, I bought the Clovelly Hotel, which which wasn't wasn't a great um, a great uh, financial gain 
Um, but, you know, in saying that, we've had some that have been incredibly great businesses and, and that's probably the, the side that I look at it the most, you know. And, you know, I think at nearly every restaurant to big guys has had one or two that haven't really worked. But, you know, I have to say, Alan, I've been very blessed and very lucky with, with the businesses that I have. You know, COVID was very scary because no All one... All right, made, before, you, before yeah. you start on COVID, <laughs> I do want to talk about that. And, of yeah. course, you know, Sydney and parts of Brisbane have also been blessed by having your restaurants around. Mm. There's so much more to talk about. I do want to talk about the pandemic, the future of dining with mm. COVID, and I guess the heartbreak really of recent floods, but also leadership. So if we'll continue with part two next week. Matt Moran, thanks, and we'll talk again. Thanks, Ellen. In part two next week, Matt Moran talks about the dramatic impact COVID inflicted not just on his business, but the entire food and hospitality industry. But his optimism reflects on what's next in food post-COVID. And as champion of the paddock to plate movement, what's his view on no meat, meat? That's next week. Join me then. I hope you enjoyed Build It, Thou Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea into an empire.